about three months in, it kind of hits you like, oh, this is forever. So make sure, you know, it's something that you enjoy that you land in a place where you feel like you can wake up and go to it every day. You're listening to the Flip My Funnel podcast, a daily podcast dedicated to helping B2B marketing, sales, and customer success professionals become masters of their craft. Today, you'll hear an episode from our Takeover Tuesday series. Every month, we ask a different practitioner or thought leader to host a series of interviews that cover a specific theme that's relevant to our community. And like Sangram always says, without a community, you are simply a commodity. Here we go. This week, I had the pleasure of sitting down with a former colleague who has always been a force to reckon with in the digital marketing industry. Olivia Hawkins is a media planning and strategizing powerhouse and is currently an associate director at VaynerMedia up in the bustling New York City. She's also an instructor at one of my most favorite institutions, General Assembly, and was my ticket into that place for which I'll always be thankful. What I love about Olivia is her drive and clarity for what she wants in her career, repeatedly helping her achieve her personal goals. No matter your level, you can learn from this one. Welcome, Olivia. Thank you so much for taking the time. You came all the way from New York to Atlanta to do this podcast. I'm sure it's the only thing that you're here for, but I really appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, thank you for having me. What, what I'd love to start off with, we used to work together. You're now in New York at Vayner. If you could give us a quick rundown of kind of what got you into digital marketing in the first place, and then specifically your journey to get to where you are today. What I'd love for you to highlight is the pivots along the way. At what points did you realize you needed to make a change and then why you made those changes? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I actually was first interested in like media and marketing when I was about 10 years old. I went on a field trip to Lamar, which is a billboard company here in the Southeast. And it was an art field trip kind of geared towards basically a bunch of 10 year olds making a billboard. But they gave us a tour of the facility because they thought that would just be, you know, an educational component. I'm putting that in air quotes. But 10 year old, very inquisitive Olivia walked around and kept asking questions like, who decides who goes on these billboards? Like who, like how do they figure out what to print and like what brands, like all of this stuff. So I basically was like trying to build a media plan inside of Lamar. And they were like, you're 10 years old. Like <laughs> go paint, like here's some colors. And I kind of forgot about it, honestly. And like 10 years old. I was 10 years old and I never really thought about it again. Cause I thought I was going to go be an engineer like my daddy. Um, I was going to go to Columbia and also be a Broadway star at the same time. But then I kind of woke up one day and I was like, I don't think that's the move right now. And I ended up going to Georgia Tech in the business school, which I loved. And I took a digital marketing class. Professor Michael Buchanan, who was at Coca-Cola and has done some consulting, kind of, I don't know, convinced us. He like put Google Analytics up and said, you know, in real time, here's how many people are on a website. And I thought it was just fascinating. And I ended up my senior year deciding that I wanted to take on a mentor who was in more of the digital marketing space versus some of the other avenues I'd considered. And at the time, I wasn't sure if I wanted to do digital more hands-on or like brand management. Because at the time, I mean, really like a lot, a lot of larger companies didn't necessarily recruit from Georgia Tech to do marketing or media. And if they did, it was exclusively a brand management job. So I thought the only option for me was like, go work for Coca-Cola become SVP of some brand you've never heard of and like, you know, turn it around, I guess. 
And Mason Thornton was her name. Um, her her dad is pretty high up at Waffle House, and she obviously is doing really well at Coca-Cola, had sent me down, taken me to lunch a few times, and she was like, look, you need to be at an agency. You've always had all these extracurriculars and all these different projects. Like, you're not going to get excited about corporate culture, at least right now. Have you ever considered it? And I'm sitting there, and I'm like, an agency? I'm like, that's very Mad Men. I don't know. I'm like, you've met me twice, lady, but sure, you're my mentor. I guess I'll hear you out. And she set up a bunch of informational interviews for me here in Atlanta. So I had gone to lunch with her client team at 360i and some other places. And I decided, I was like, yeah, this is what I want to do. How did you meet her? Like, what was the, because you, you mentioned she's, she's your mentor. Yeah. So, but yeah, how did that happen? At Georgia Tech, we have a program called Mentor Jackets. So it was actually a resource through the school, but it was very much one of those things that you needed to seek out, volunteer for, sign up for, and be engaged with. So it's a program. I mean, it's been around now. I mean, not date myself, but <laughs> probably 10 years, <laughs> years, many years. And um, it's interesting because it's very much one of those, it's what you make of it. And so it's a program that obviously helped me a lot. So I continue to be a mentor for it, but essentially every year of your collegiate career, you're paired up with someone who's in the industry or company that you're interested in working for. Cool. Yeah. So she very much put me on the right track because otherwise who knows where I would have ended up. Sure. Did you, was that something that was available to you that you seeked out or was it something that they kind of forced on you that turned out to be valuable? Yeah. So it's really interesting, right? I was encouraged to do it. I realized going into my senior year that a lot of my friends who were going to be consultants or work for big corporations where they just consistently hire X number of employees every year already had job offers and school hadn't even started for our last year, you know, and I'm sitting there kind of confused because I don't have all these job offers rolling in from BCG and fill in the blank consulting company. But also I hadn't even thought about applying to that. I had been encouraged to to try the program and I kind of did it as like a check the box. I assumed that I would be fine. Like I'm very independent, right? So I'm like, I'll be fine on my own. I don't need, but you know, networking, sure. I'll give it a shot. And then obviously she set my entire trajectory straight, which is crazy. That's amazing. Cause yeah, it's like, if you do the right things, right. You were checking a box, but at the end of the day, you don't know where it's going to come from. Totally. Because I feel like all of us have, whether it's a mentor or an internship or whatever it is that we chose, whether we saw that as an avenue, usually if you look back, what I see is that the things that help us out the most are the things you really don't expect to be yeah, there. Yeah, absolutely. And and it's, it's so funny, too, because it's it's one of those things where, I mean, for me, especially in my senior year, when I was checking all these boxes, doing all these things, I was just interested with, like, interviewing with as many companies as possible to also kind of try to figure it out. And she <laughs> shut me down so fast. She was like, you are then are going to take the first job that you get accepted to because you're in college and you're... 21 years old and you're like, someone's going to pay me money. Yay. Yeah. She was like, you you know, be more thoughtful about this. It's the rest of your life. And I kind of slowed my role and figured it out. And then actually my spring semester of my senior year, I was still really involved with the business school and the college of business ambassador program. And so we did a lot of things for incoming prospective students. And one of those was what was called the Dean scholarship at Georgia tech, um, which essentially was available to, I think, 
between 20 and 25 incoming freshmen. It's partially merit-based, but also based on like what you are interested in doing. So it's not just about what you've accomplished in high school. It's a lot more about what your dream is, which I think is really interesting. So as ambassadors, we facilitated a lot of the material for parents, tours, things like that. But the interviews would be conducted by um, very prestigious alumni from the school. Well, one of those prestigious alumni, whose name is Matt Dubnik, came and was interested in not only meeting, of course, the prospective students, but very actively looking to hire. And so we had a career uh, resources, essentially team at Georgia Tech who pulled me aside at one of the events and said, hey, there's someone we want you to meet. And I'm thinking, oh, it's some student that's interested in study abroad or Greek life or one of these other things that I've been involved in at Georgia Tech. So I have like half an appetizer in my mouth holding like a cocktail napkin, just wandering around like, who wants to meet me? And then I turn around and it's Matt, who is obviously like an adult in a suit, sticks his hand out, says, Matt Dubnik, nice to meet you. Real great Southern accent. He's like, you know, I'm the vice president at Full Media up in Gainesville, Georgia. And I'm like, oh, that was like the one person here I wanted to talk to. Like quickly swallows all of the food in my mouth. So just taking a step back because somebody clearly told this person or told you that you should meet, right? Mm -hmm. But how did they know that? Had you already clarified kind of what you were going for at that point? Yeah. So by that point in time, I had done some of the informational interviews and I knew where I was headed. And this was in... April or March, I guess March, it was right for spring break of my senior year. And so I had sat down with our career services, career resources at Georgia Tech, which they're phenomenal people, first of all. I don't know how they keep up with ever how many graduating seniors, but they do. And I had just been very explicit in saying, I think I want to go work for an agency, which they look at me and they're like, a modeling agency? Like, (laughs) you know, that's not necessarily who hires at Georgia Tech. And they're, you know, going through their Rolodex like, sorry, (laughs) like come back later. And I was like, all right, again, checking the box. Like at least I did the thing I was supposed to do and told the career people what I'm interested in. But again, at this point in time, I was very much like, I'm going to have to go out and make my own applications, my own connections, get involved in organizations like the Atlanta Interactive Marketing Association or whatever. Well, it's just interesting because what I'm hearing that is so fascinating. And I think is one of the ingredients of your success throughout your career is this idea that like you really invested the time, you you called it checking the boxes, but it's really to like clarify direction. Mm-hmm. You got a lot of input from other people that you respected, but at the end of the day, that independence that you do have has really helped you get clarity and then dedicate yourself to, to that objective. Because yeah. what I've seen, and I know that you do really well, is tell the story of what you're trying to achieve to people around you mm-hmm. and get them bought into that vision so that they can help you. Because if, if, you know, you didn't have the mentor to kind of give you guidance on like what you may or may not want to look into based on what your passions are and your strengths are, and then you didn't have necessarily people who were looking out and saying, oh, this is a perfect person for Olivia to meet, mm-hmm. you might have never gone down those pathways. And those are like really small opportunities that easily could have slipped away, but really defined a lot of the path. It's so true. And they're, in hindsight, micro moments of, you know, if I were to go up to his name, Stan, Stan Room, if I were to go up to Stan and be like, Stan, do you remember that time you introduced me to Matt? 
he'd probably be thinking, one of those things with a, you know, happy hour hors d'oeuvres and appetizers. I have no idea. Yeah. But it, yeah. it set me on this complete journey. And what was so interesting was, you know, from there, I actually actively had not had anything other than phone interviews. I had been very cognizant of who I'd been interviewing with. And a lot of the phone interviews I'd had were much more like salesy type jobs, yeah. things like that, that I, I, not to say that I think I would be good or bad at, but it's just not what I was looking for as I graduated. And so when Matt was like, you know, we want to bring you up to Gainesville, meet the team, meet the boys, you know, whatever. I was like, sure. And it was the first in-person interview I ever took. And I got a job off, which was great. But also in hindsight, I look back on it and I'm like, I was three weeks away from graduating. Like that was a risky move. (laughs) But if you know what you want, it's, it's worth the wait, you know? Yeah. And I think it's almost more important to be more particular early on in knowing what you want and waiting because like me now, right? Like if you're in this mode where you have a bunch of kids already and you've got financial obligations, it's a lot harder to take risks at that point. That's true. But if you figure out the direction early on, like I also, I went through a bunch of different career paths before I landed on marketing. I was not as clear as you were in college of what I was looking for or what I should be doing. I did no internships except for like one with Red Bull, which was more for fun than it was for... Were you like the one that handed out Red Bulls on campus? I, yeah, I like helped direct the team of people who did that. But... Yeah. Learning things. It's like a weird, a weird connection to my current persona. I was a slightly different person. But at the end of the day, I think what, what you can really learn from what you're saying that's so important is like when you do have the time, you really have to take it. And then later on, it could take longer. But even then, it's still more important for you to figure out a pathway that is really something you're passionate about and going for than kind of going from the like checking the boxes and then just checking boxes in your work and mm-hmm. checking boxes. And when you switch jobs, right? Because yeah. at some point, if it's no longer part of a system. It's your life. Yeah. And you really have to like own that. And that's, I think one of the things, and I've even talked about this with some of the the newer members of our team is, you know, you go through life pretty much 22 years of it, assuming you graduate college around 22, high school around 18, all that good stuff. It's all set out for you, right? You know exactly what you're supposed to do the next year. You're going to get Christmas break off. You're going to get spring break off. You're going to get your summer break off. And it's very clear. And then when you start working about three months in, it kind of hits you like, oh, this is forever. (laughs) So make sure, you know, it's something that you enjoy that you do want to take a break from, right? That you want to make the time to go on your vacations and things like that. But also make sure that you land in a place where, you, you feel like you can wake up and go to it every day. Yeah, beautiful, 100%. So I want to quickly pivot to you. You went to full media. Yes. You were at Search Discovery and then you were at Vayner now. Yes. Give me the quick rundown because I want, I have some other questions I want to ask you <laughs> of like how you decided at that job when you wanted to make a move and then kind of what you got out of that job, but then what you were looking for in the next one, each of those two months. Yeah. I've been at three agencies now. All three have been independently pretty much owned and operated. So the first agency I was at was was fairly small, a couple of offices here in the Southeast, very focused on small, mid-sized businesses. I learned a lot really quickly there. And we did a lot of aspects of digital marketing. So it wasn't um, just paid media, which is more in the realm that I'm in now. We did SEO, we did email marketing, we did social media management. 
at one point in time, I was taking a digital camera like out to our clients' businesses to take photos to put online of like what their offices so look like. Photographer, yeah, you wore a lot of hats, <laughs> which was great. And I had the opportunity, you know, realistically at a very young age to own a lot of things. So not just the client relationship, but a lot of different services that we offered. I hit a point about two years in there that I realized paid was much more my interest and that given their client base, it wasn't realistic for me to operate only on paid media clients or operate on a team that was only paid media clients. And, and that was actually at the same time that Lindsay Blankenship had reached out from Search Discovery. So I had decided to make the move. That was in 2015. And that was to get more into paid specifically. Yep. And I had realized that that was a little bit more my interest was, it sounds so shallow to be like pay to play or the short game. But, you know, with my background, especially at the first couple of years of my career, when we were doing a lot more of direct response media, if, first of all, if you have the opportunity to spend someone else's money in your career, I tell people to do it because it's super fun, but also you can grow their business and show results. So if you can show a return on that ad spend, it doesn't feel like snake oily. It's like, no, it this works and you you have proven results. And I felt that a lot more that I could tell that story a lot more with paid than with some of the email marketing or SEO work that we had been doing. So I decided to come to Search Discovery to work with Lindsay. And I was here for a few years working on a couple of different verticals, but still in more of that small, I would say more mid-sized space, but have the opportunity to do some really cool stuff globally touch a lot more paid channels than just really search was my my first foray into paid. And at Search Discovery, I got to do a lot more display, some paid social, learned what an IO was. You taught me that. <laughs> I will never forget looking up IO and being like, Google IO? And you're like, insertion order. <laughs> I was like, oh, cool, cool, cool. <laughs> it's, amazing. it's amazing how, yeah, where you learn the random stuff that you learn along the way. Like, yeah. And how many different languages there are, even within digital, paid, mm-hmm. like how I can be here for 10 years and then talk to a new party and I, there's new acronyms. Yeah, completely. Unbelievable. So after, I guess, I'd been at Search Discovery for, again, almost two years, I guess that's my <laughs> expiration date. I had a lot of things going on in my personal life. Um, I've been in Atlanta my whole life, grew up here. And I realized that if I didn't leave Atlanta at that point in time, then realistically, I probably never really would. And and I had the opportunity through my friendship with Erin and her friendship with Lee to meet up with some people at VaynerMedia um, when I had been in New York for, for some meetings. And so I ended up deciding to take that job, even though I had no idea what it was. The title that they hired me on as didn't exist. My, my offer letter was just basically like, what words can we say to get you here as soon as possible? Like, we'll figure it out later. And I was actually hired for a piece of business that the agency ended up winning pieces of, but not the not the projects that I specifically would have been working on. So I started in February of 2017 and I showed up. It was the day after the Super Bowl. Atlanta had been in it. Everyone was asking me because I kept saying I just moved here from Atlanta you know, three days ago, people were like, oh my gosh, the Falcons lost. And I could care less about the NFL. <laughs> so I was like, oh yeah, <laughs> bummer. And I, that was like my first topic point, topic of conversation with anyone. So I had to like look up things about the Falcons just so I could like make friends, like talk oh, to people. That's amazing. So all people know, it's like, no one's like, oh, Coca-Cola or the Olympics. It was like the Falcons lost the Super Bowl. So 
Yeah. So I started up there and it was really interesting. So I was on um, a much larger paid media team, you know, at Search Discovery, we probably hovered around like 15 at, at the most in, in the digital marketing space. Whereas when I started at Vayner, it was probably about 120 in the media department and we're much larger even now. There were different disciplines. I had never heard of what was a media planner versus a media buyer or um, media investment and negotiation. There were a lot more you know, terms sure. and a much different glossary. But then, as, of course, as soon as I sit down and I start seeing what people were doing every day, I'm like, oh, I know what you're doing. You just call it something a little different, which is true, I think, anytime you make a regional move, but certainly in, in this career space as well. And so I ended up working um, on one of our financial services account with um, Chase Bank. And um, it was really interesting. So I transitioned more into a planning type role. So instead of being the person who bought the media and was in Google AdWords or ads, whatever we call it now, I was more so on the side of, of the upfront planning portion of the process to decide what should be on the plan. Should we do search or not? Should we be doing programmatic or direct IO negotiations, things like that? Which was cool because it was a, a piece of the process that I think in my previous roles we weren't as focused on because we were much more close to like continuously optimizing once you were in market. We always had evergreen campaigns and we were trying to get as many leads or results as possible as quickly as possible versus, you know, how do we announce we have a new product? People have heard of Chase Bank. We don't need to tell them it's a bank, you know, that's. That's pretty clear, but maybe we have a new credit card or we have a new loan offering. So how do we let people know outside of just, have you heard of Chase Bank? And you probably have multiple, many different business units and different things within them that might compete for attention. Totally. It's a totally different environment. Exactly. And so I I got a lot closer to um, like communications planning and understanding, you know, how many different messages do we have in market across all of our different channels? Because you know, I say Chase Bank. And for example, if you're in the Atlanta area, it, it Chase is not a large consumer bank. A lot of people know Chase just for credit cards. Mm-hmm. But if you're in New York City, there's 500 Chase ATMs. Twin you, read, right? Yeah, right. Like you can't you can't miss it. They're yeah. everywhere. And and so it was it was a very different challenge for me to sort of figure out how like how that works. Mm-hmm. And also at the same time, sort of learning a new role in terms of planning versus buying. I will never forget one of the first meetings I was in was for Chase Consumer Bank. And they obviously within that, that's um, a couple of different things like deposits, loans, investments, all that good stuff. The, the stuff you think of when you think of a bank. And it was before I knew that's the project I was going to be working on. And somebody's talking about the CPC upgrade. And I was like, why are we upgrading CPCs? Because I'm sitting there and I'm like, that's cost per click. They're like, no, it's Chase private client, like I roll. (laughs) And I'm sitting there so confused, but also at the same time trying to keep up with the lingo and the conversation. I'm like, why are we upgrading a CPC? I don't understand. It was like, no, we're trying to convince people to get Chase private client who already bank with us. You know what, they're like... It's much better that you're the person that sounds like an idiot once yeah. than the person who for six months thought we were talking about cost per click. Yeah. And then never asked the question. Then, yeah. And then you like mention it and they're like, what have you been doing? for the last six <laughs> This is the campaign you managed. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. yeah. So it, it was good. So for the first year I was working on Chase, it's a bank. And then in, um, I guess, spring of this year, 2018, 
VaynerMedia won agency of record for Mondelez International. So Mondelez is a consumer packaged goods company. That nobody's ever heard of. That no one's ever heard of, but you've heard of our brands. And so I ended up working with Oreo, and that's the account that I sit with right now. It's a, again, a, a sandwich cookie you might have heard of. I, I'm not jealous at all. Here. This is not like I grew up dying to get my access to Oreos at any opportunity. <laughs> They're like kind of addictive. Um, it's really funny because I probably already ate a few Oreos a week anyway, just in general. But now it's like work. It's like we go to a meeting and I bring them for brainstorms. <laughs> like if we need any inspiration, here's some milk and cookies, which do is they, great. Do they like deliver, you know? For the holidays, send you Oreos? They did. They sent us a bottle of champagne and some of the new flavors for next year, <laughs> which I'm not allowed to talk about, so don't even ask. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, so it, it's it's a lot of fun. It's a very fun brand. But again, it's a, this interesting challenge of we don't need to tell people that Oreos exist. Chances are you have a, a box in your pantry. It's more so that top of mind awareness and reminding people either, hey, we've got new products. So, for example, like an Oreo chocolate candy bar or, hey, remember to buy us for those things that you've always bought us for in the past, whether that's a birthday party or um, any sort of family celebration as an ingredient to bake with and something like that. So, yeah, it's been really interesting because it's also, you know, a lot more channels than I'm used to playing with. I primarily sit in the digital space, but we do dabble in some some other areas like television as well. Fair. So on Oreo, when you're media planning for that exact like consumer package good, those are your objectives are a lot different than the DR space. Mm-hmm. There's not an easy way to measure whether you're achieving your goal. How does that process look? Like they say, hey, here's a new ingredient and then here's our evergreen cheesecake recipe campaign mm-hmm. is that is that how that starts or yeah. what does it look like so it's really interesting so we've been doing annual planning for them and so what that looks like is for the most part we look at all of 2019 in full here's new products that are coming down the pipe but also sort of that evergreen more like equity building messaging so just reminding people that cookies exist but we also you know take a look at innovation in the space outside of just the cookies so an example from recently that I can talk about is the Oreo music box. So this was um, one of our, our first direct to consumer products that we sold that is not an, just the cookie. It's a toy that you can play with with the cookie. So it looks like a little record player and you put an Oreo cookie on it um, and it plays different music based off of how much cookie is still on it. I'm so surprised you don't already have one of these. I don't, but it might be coming there you go. Fascinating. Yeah. And and so it was sort of this this first foray into what does it look like to play in the e-commerce space, which is an area where people aren't necessarily buying a lot of consumer packaged goods right now. But just because they aren't right now doesn't mean they won't in the future. But also what's what's a product that we could sell in that space? And so that that's really interesting, right? So these things that we're planning for, sometimes it is that equity always on just reminding people cookies exist, but then we might have these sort of one-off products or campaigns that are really focused on, on something a little different. So we look at the year in full, take into account all of those priorities. We have a, a total budget that we work towards, and then we slowly just allocate away into particular channels and then particular products that make sense. In the world of... Oreo or any CPG clients that, that you're aware of that you're running with, are you maintaining your own database 
because we see this a lot on the data strategy side mm -hmm. from what we're working with with some of the bigger <clears throat> brands than, than when you were here that there's a lot of a movement towards retaining your own first party data that's sort of what Nielsen's attempting to do mm -hmm. so that you can get a more accurate read on this household or these thousand households are our best customers. How else can we market directly to them and take out the Nielsen's of the world and not rely on that model data mm -hmm. and start to get towards a more personalized approach? Are you seeing that in the CPG space? Yeah, it's, it's definitely the direction that I think everyone's headed. A lot of verticals are. CPG in particular is one of the more difficult ones. Anything where your point of sale is inherently typically not online mm -hmm. gets really difficult to tie any sort of device ID or email address or whatever that seed is for your first party audience back to that offline point of purchase. Not impossible, just, you know, not, not simple by any means. Amazing. Okay. So tell me what channels are your favorite when it comes to CPG? both from your own personal favorite to buy or to plan for, but also that you think are the most effective for a CPG brand? Yeah, I would say my favorites, it's sort of a cop-out to say social as a whole, but I think understanding within the channel what platform works best for what you're trying to communicate. So what message should we have on Twitter versus Instagram versus something else? I think that that's a really interesting nuance. And traditionally, right, social was just treated as one bucket. It was all Facebook. But we're very much in a, I, I think, day and age where if if you are trying to get some of that more awareness-based media versus direct response, then there's different places that you should play. And you need incremental reach in order to find those people. There are less people using Facebook on a daily basis now than there were a year ago. Granted, most of them are probably still using Instagram, but it, yeah. just, you know, user behavior has changed. So I think one of the things that I've enjoyed looking at is what are those incremental opportunities? So for us, sometimes it might be like Snapchat, which is a really efficient media buy right now. But we've also looked into even Reddit has a, an offering. They've, they're building out their own self-service tool. So inherently, a lot of times the people that use Reddit are not heavy social media users. So it's, it's sort of an incremental opportunity to, to get in front of people. That's amazing. That's really interesting. Yeah. Very cool. Okay. Anything else to leave us with? No, I, I would say um, my journey has been really interesting. Excited to see what's next. Very thankful for all the people along the way. Awesome. Hey, well, thank you, Olivia, for joining us for Digital Marketing Week. Thank you. Let's recap it. Did you notice how in so many of Olivia's pivots throughout her career, she sort of knew ahead of time what she wanted so that when it presented itself, she said, yep, that's for me. That's not a coincidence. Olivia, while she doesn't say it outright, continues to reflect on and process her career and visualize what her next steps might be. It's a very deliberate process that has continuously served her tremendously well. Number one, she developed a clear idea of where she may want to end up way back in her time in college and started telling folks around her about her goals. She took a lot of input to get there, but she also had specific enough goals from all of that input that when someone met her future boss, an owner of a digital agency, it rung bells in their head and they knew that they should introduce Olivia. 
And number two, she had the humility to seek out a mentor. Despite the fact that she's developed clarity for herself, she still found someone she looked up to who also cared enough to be honest with her and provide candid feedback and advice. By getting that extra set of feedback, Olivia was able to confidently dedicate herself to her vision and put her full energy into making it happen. The result has been a solid trajectory of amazing experiences and successes in personal and career growth. It's exciting to watch. You've been listening to the Flip My Funnel podcast. To make sure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you have an iPhone, we'd love for you to open the Apple Podcasts app and leave a review. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.